The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. As always, great to have you and great to have a guest that I am excited to present to our Go Green Radio listeners. We are very lucky today. We have the author of a book called Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability. Uh, his name is Michael Stone, and he works at the Center for Eco-Literacy. And we're going to be talking about that organization, and we're going to be talking about the work that they do throughout uh, this conversation that we'll be having about this book. Uh, you know, as well as I do, Go Green Radio listeners, that throughout our great country, the United States of America, and across the world, there is a movement afoot. Uh, there are educators and parents and students that are really getting into rethinking K-12 through education, getting ready to prepare students for the future and, and those environmental challenges, challenges that we know they're going to face. Now, we know that a lot of schools uh, would love to go green. We know that they, they are talking about it, they're thinking about it, and they may just need some guidance on how to do that what it has looked like in other schools that have incorporated environmental education successfully. And as many of you know, I'm the founder of the Go Green Initiative, which is a nonprofit organization which helps schools sort of bridge that gap. How do we go from where we are today to where we want to be tomorrow without really negatively impacting our teachers? How do we help them integrate environmental education into what they're already doing successfully in the classroom. And, and Michael's book, and, and I know that this was a collaborative project, but Michael is the primary author of Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability, and I just think this book is a tremendous resource for schools, uh, anyone involved with schools, parents, teachers, students, who want some really hands-on, real-world success stories to glean information from. And Michael, I am so pleased to welcome you to Go Green Radio. Thanks for being on the show with us well, today. I'm delighted to join you and looking forward to talking. Well, I've got to tell you, I love your book, Smart by Nature, and I've read a million books out there, everything I could get my hands on about environmental education. And it's really my hope that our Go Green Radio listeners will want to pick up a copy for themselves by the end of our interview today because I just think that the concepts and the case studies that you've represented in the books are ones that I'd personally just love to see replicated in schools across the U.S. And, and, frankly, around the world. So, Michael, I'd love to begin by giving our listeners a little background on you. Tell us about your career and what ultimately led you to the Center for Eco-Literacy, where you wrote this awesome book. Well, thank you. Um, I began my career out of, out of graduate school in journalism and, and did some newspaper work, did some political work uh, with candidates, did some other state work in, in Illinois specifically, and then I taught for about 20 years at a small college in Northern California, a World College West, 
and she had a strong emphasis on international service and development, international environmental studies, and, and after being there for a little less than 20 years, I went back into journalism and served for 10 years as the managing editor of the Whole Earth magazine and the Whole Earth catalog. And while I was uh, working at the, at the magazine, I happened to write a story about an extraordinary program that the Center for Eco-Literacy had supported. Um, back up a little bit they, and tell you, the, the Center for Eco-Literacy is a, it's a nonprofit. We're based in Berkeley, um, dedicated to schooling for sustainability. And we offer seminars, consulting, books, teaching guides, all sorts of resources that we hope will be helpful in doing the same kind of things that you're talking about with, with Go Green. And one of the things that we were doing at that time uh, was also providing some sub financial support to particularly innovative programs. And one of these programs uh, had begun in Marin County with a group of fourth graders who were really depressed about the state of what they had heard about endangered species and so on. And they said, we've got to do something about this. And they're teacher was wise enough to realize that she couldn't just tell them, oh, go write a letter to your congress member. You know, what can we really do concretely? And so they adopted uh, an endangered shrimp, an inch-and-a-half-long animal that lived only in 17 streams in Sonoma and Marin counties. And that program just exploded into a remarkable collaboration, which became Teachers and Students Restoring a Watershed, um, and a coalition of teachers, students, ranchers, nonprofits, government organizations, and got very fascinated by the story. And so we wrote it up uh, about 2001. And after that, then I learned about the work of the center and their other work. And then I did a study on the work they had been doing in food systems and some other things. And uh, variously, after a couple of years of doing this sort of on the side or with regard to the magazine, they uh, invited me to join them full time, and I did. That's fantastic. I love stories like that. And, and as I talk to get different guests every week on Go Green Radio, I'm always fascinated to find out what the path was that led uh, individuals to their current green work. And it's always so different, so individual. Um, and, and I just love to get to know my guests on that level, what, what led you to where you are today. And speaking of that, what led you to write the book Smart by Nature? I mean, what was that aha moment where you said, this needs to be a book, and here's the, the genesis, here's the idea. What, what was that aha moment? Uh, sure. We, we had been doing a lot of work documenting the work that we had been done doing. We were working in what's, what we were calling, the people call the Shasto Bayer region, the area from about a little south of San Francisco up to Oregon, but we had not been doing so much work with other schools across the country. And then we were approached by Dan Imhoff, who is the president of Watershed Media, a publishing company in Mendocino County. And he had an idea about what about doing a book on school, green schools and what about our collaborating on it. And we started to think about that. And I guess uh, the aha realization probably was that there are a growing number of schools, as you had mentioned earlier, which are doing sustainability education, but remarkably they didn't, did not know much about each other. They were doing it often in isolation, we would do a seminar. People would come sometimes from all across the country. And one of the most important moments in that seminar was probably the first hour before we had ever said anything, but where they began to look around the room and say, oh, I'm not alone. There are other people doing this. There are other people I, ha I might be able to learn something from. And so we realized that probably we could provide a service if we let people know what was going on there, what resources were available, 
what some of the success stories, as you mentioned, were. And that got us interested. And then we did some scanning of schools across the country and found that there were a number of really interesting projects that probably people ought to know about. Well, and, and they are really cool. I mean, I, in going through the book, what I loved to see was the richness and, and diversity of the schools that you cover. And these case studies um, are from every age group. They're from every, you know, type of, you know, rural, urban, suburban setting. And they really give you a, a very diverse flavor of all the various kinds of successful projects, not just theory, but projects that have actually been, you know, on the ground, they've worked, they've been successful, um, and they really run the gamut of, of experience and age group and, and, you know, geographics. And I've read, like I said before, probably just about everything I could possibly get my hands on in the last seven years um, when it comes to environmental education. And your book just stands out amongst the rest. And I could answer this question because, you know, I kind of consider myself to have been well-read in this area, but I'd love to hear the answer to this question from you. Tell our listeners what it is about Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability, that's unique in this market space. What are they going to find about environmental education that they won't find in any other book? That's, that's a good question, and maybe, uh, maybe I ought to let you answer it yourself um, <laughs> from your experience. I'll tell you what I think anyway. Um, a couple of things which you alluded to. One of them we do try to provide in the book a kind of straightforward framework, a way of organizing information and a way of looking at how schools can get into the question of of schooling for sustainability. And so we begin by looking from four different directions. We look from the direction of food, food systems, school food. We look at the campus. We look at uh, the, the, the community of the school and its relationship with outside community. And we look at uh, specifically what happens in the classroom. And then what we wanted to do was, uh, as you suggested, to provide inspiration. Again, this, this realization that People often felt alone, often felt that they were doing this in isolation, and, and that they weren't sure. There were, everybody has obstacles, and we can talk a little bit about that later, but no, no matter what kind of school we've talked with, there are something, some kinds of difficulties they have to overcome. And part of what we wanted to do was to let them know that somebody in a situation very like their own had overcome those obstacles. And so we very, very deliberately looked at making sure we got schools from all across the country, from New England to Southern California and from the uh, Northwest Washington to Florida and, and Midwest and everywhere in between. And then we looked at public schools, independent schools, charter schools, you know, rural, urban, suburban. Uh, we looked at schools as tiny as, I think, maybe the smallest one probably had 18 students, and the largest ones were up to districts with tens of thousands or, or more students. And what we wanted people to be able to do was to look at that and say, if they can do it, maybe we can do it too. And if they've overcome what we're seeing as the obstacles to our work, gosh, maybe we can do that too. And, and then we wanted to very specifically include pages of lessons learned, uh, suggestions of what you can do, and, and lots of resources. So I think all of those things, we, as we were looking before we decided, do we really want, do we need to do a book? We looked around, and we couldn't find anybody who had done all those things, and so we thought, this might actually be a service to people, and so let's put it together. That's perfect, and I'm glad you answered the question, because I, I could have answered that question, but, but that was the perfect answer. 
you know, and a lot of folks out there, and we're seeing this deluge of the marketplace with green everything. And one of the things that I like to encourage people, I mean, I get a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls saying, you know, you've been in this space for a little while. Uh, I'd like to do this. I'd like to start a program. I'd like to write a book. And my first question is find out if somebody's already doing it. And if they are, help them. And if you really find that what you want to do is unique, then do it. But one of the things I love about your book is truly there's nothing else out there like it. And it is so helpful, and it is a great resource. And I'm hoping that everybody's going to get out and order the book. We're going to be talking about how to do that, where to find that in just a few moments. We're going to be going to commercial break. But, folks, if you have any questions that you'd like to ask me or you'd like to ask Michael, don't be shy. You can phone us in at 866 472-5788. We will be right back after this commercial break with more Go Green Radio. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. Ah! 
There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. I want to give a big shout-out to all my tweets, everybody who's following the show and following the Go Green Initiative on Twitter. Um, I've been getting some tweets as we were on commercial break about the show, and I'll be answering you all in just a moment. We have Michael Stone. He is the author of a book that I just dearly love. It's called Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability. And the, the tweets that I was getting over commercial break were along this same line. They said, Jill, we love this, the sound of this book. Where do we get it? So here's the URL if you want to check it out. Go to www.ecoliteracy.org, and you can follow through uh, that website and find where to order Smart by Nature Schooling for Sustainability. Well, we are so lucky to have the author of that book on, Michael Stone. Michael, thanks for being with us on Go Green Radio. It's great to be with you. You know, some of our Go Green Radio listeners are teachers and some are parents, but we also have a lot of listeners who are in their 20s, they don't have kids, they have no plans to have kids, and they may not really be into the whole schooling thing. I mean, they're, they're not in that PTA world, they're not teachers. But for them, um, you know, maybe they don't have any immediate vested interest in kids, but there's still a reason for them to care about the environmental education of our kids. Um, can you talk to us and talk to them about the big-picture benefits to our society, to our country, if we do a better job of teaching the next generation about sustainable living? Why should our 20-something listeners care about this issue? Well, I think that uh, you know, we're all in this together. And uh, with respect to the environmental issues that are confronting us and are going to be confronting us, um, you know, climate change, uh, the end of cheap energy, uh, environmentally-related illnesses, and all of these things... Um, they're going to be with us for a while, and eventually, and sometimes a lot sooner than eventually, uh, the kids who are in school today are the ones who are going to be making the decisions. Uh, we, just, we talked about this the other day, that uh, a kid who's a, a first grader, in 12 years they're going to be voting, and that 12 years isn't that, that long a period. And so what those kids bring into what they're going to do as citizens in business, in the military, wherever they're working, in, in ed- as educators themselves, and then not very long from now, remarkably, as parents themselves, that's going to have a lot of effect on the way the life that all of us lead. And I think I want to be living in a world where those kids are as well prepared as possible to think environmentally, to think about the way humans in the natural world interact, what effect we have on the natural world, what limitations the natural world places on us that we need to be very, very aware of, and. Uh, I think that those 
that the better prepared those kids are, the better my life's going to be for the rest of my life, and I think the better the prospects are for all of us. Well, and it's it's very similar to the same thing that people will tell, um, you know, folks who don't have children in public schools, and they may say, well, why should I pay my taxes to support public schools? I don't even have kids in the schools. And folks will say, well, you know, who do you think is going to be the firefighter who comes to your home uh, when you have a fire, or the police officer, or the doctor, or the nurse, or the lawyer that you may need in the future? It's going to be these kids. And we want to make sure they're well-educated. Similarly, we want to make sure that they know how to preserve, conserve, and, and use properly the natural resources that we'll all be sharing um, for, for the rest of our lives. So I think it really is an important societal issue, not just something for parents and teachers. Um, you know, Mike, I'm getting ready to speak at a conference in Hawaii. I, I have a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. So I've got mm-hmm. to get on a plane. Got to head over to Hawaii for a big conference next week. And we're going to be talking about a lot of sustainability issues on the islands. In your your book, Smart by Nature, on page 47, you reference a concept that was coined by a a Hawaiian social entrepreneur named James Koshiba called island intelligence. And you, you interweave that idea of island intelligence into the book and into your, your uh, idea of schooling for sustainability. Talk to us about that concept of island intelligence and how it can be applied to the notion of schooling for sustainability. Oh, okay. Um, Koshiba says that uh, island people, and he's talking about Hawaiian specifically, but island, other island people as well, uh, he says they have an intuitive understanding of the power and the fragility of nature. Um, they know that resources are limited. Uh, remarkable, a huge amount of uh, percentage of the food that's eaten in Hawaii has to be imported. So they, they know right off what it means, what's the cost are of bringing in resources, um, and what happens if you use up the resources you have. Um, they realize the importance of sharing um, and very frequently they experience and respect economic and cultural diversity in a way that those of us perhaps who lived in places that at least when I was growing up were much more spread out, more segregated. That's not an option for, for people on an island. And I think that more and more uh, we're all island people. The, if, we, if we look at the way the earth is, if we look at what's happening with resources, with the economy, um, I think and island intelligence is a good metaphor uh, for the lessons that we're trying to teach children about schooling for sustainability, that, that resources are limited, that there are huge costs if you exceed the, the limits of your ecosystem, and for uh, more and more ecosystems are, are the whole world in many ways, um, that we have to live with whatever we waste. You can't, you can't throw it off the edge of an island and have it go away. Um, mm-hmm. And the diversity is, is really a strength in the strategy for survival. So I think all of those things can be used by teachers as ways of thinking about, imagine that we are all on an island, and what are the kinds of intelligence, what are the kinds of skills we need, what are the kinds of attitudes we need to have if we're going to survive on this island that we're living on together. Mm-hmm. I think that's brilliant. And, and actually, I hope that when I come back from this conference in Hawaii, I can uh, understand that concept more fully and maybe articulate it, and you and I could have another conversation on Go Green Radio about it. Because that I would think, be great. Yeah, I think it really is a powerful concept to think about, like you said, uh, you know, living with our waste and also living with the idea that we are interconnected and, and, and we're not all just 
you know, self-sufficient, that we do rely upon uh, other places and other people for the resources that we consume. And it's a great concept. Um, you know, your book also talks a lot, and this is kind of part and parcel with what you were mentioning in terms of the way that Hawaii imports so much of its food. Your book addresses farm-to-school programs, and food is a really interesting way to teach environmentally responsible behaviors. Talk about these farm-to-school programs and how they benefit students. You have several examples in the book. Talk more about the farm-to-school program. Sure. Uh, that would be great. The, uh, I think, as you mentioned, food is, is so central, and it's, uh, we make a, a large part of the book about one of the four major sections of the book is about food just because it's so important culturally, economically, certainly in terms of health. It's an experience children all have. They all eat. Uh, and so you're not talking about something very abstract. You're talking about something that they're doing every day, uh, and that has impacts on the environment because of the choices they make. And farm-to-school programs, there are oh, probably about 2,000 farm-to-school programs all across the country. Um, the Let's figures I saw, they were serving about 9,000 schools, and they're very diverse. There's, there's no farm-to-school blueprint. There are, most of these programs are locally based, uh, they're locally organized, and they're meeting the needs and desires of people in their community. And there are the ways to do several different things. It's, it's a way to get fresh, healthy food into schools. Uh, it's a way to improve nutrition in schools by having food that's accessed locally and, uh, and served right there. It's also a way to turn that around. It's a way to put a face on the food. The, uh, these programs connect local schools and children with farms through everything from school gardens to farm tours, trips to farmers' markets, uh, bringing farmers into the school to meet students. And it's a way, I think, of reminding kids, and we forget sometimes that for a lot of kids, urban kids, suburban kids often, but probably many kids, uh, they don't really remember the food doesn't grow in cans, that, <laughs> that it's actually grown by real people, and that all of us who eat, and I believe that's most of us, are mm-hmm. dependent on those people, and that we need to we need to respect them. We need to understand them. Often, uh, kids need to understand. I mean, there's there's a there are kind of stereotypes about farmers as being backward, and farm is a place kids want to growing up want to get off of. Um, to begin to to really understand what farmers do, why farmers make the decisions they do, and to realize that supporting local farms is good for the local economy. It helps provide farmers with income. It keeps the small farmers who are, who are a bastion against being taken over by agribusiness, keeps them in business. It brings money in that stays in the community because they're buying their supplies locally, they're selling locally. So all of these kinds of things, in one way or another, farm-to-school programs help reinforce, help teach kids in a way that they enjoy about better food, about how good food is, about how good fresh food is, and about the economy that, uh, that keeps us getting food. Well, and what I love, too, is that it, it's not difficult to interweave lessons uh, about water and water use and land use and pesticide use and all of those things into those kinds of programs. And naturally, you know, there's no better way for kids to understand the environmental impact of those types of, you know, issues than to say, 
you know, here's the lettuce that you're eating on your cheeseburger or your salad, and your farmer made choices about what gets sprayed or what doesn't get sprayed on this lettuce or what water, you know, was in what was in the water that watered this plant that made your lettuce. And I, I really like that that concept a lot. We're going to be back in a, just a few minutes after a short commercial break, and we're going to be talking more about this whole idea of schooling for sustainability. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with Michael Stone, author of Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. Today, we are talking with the author of a book that I highly recommend. It's called Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability. Its author is Michael Stone. He's with us today. Uh, I know that a lot of you are very interested in getting a copy of the book yourself. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the usual places. But I'd love for you to go directly to the source of where this book came from, and that is the website 
for the Center for Eco Literacy, and their URL is www.ecoliteracy.org. And I'd love for you to check out the work that they do, and also, of course, pick up a copy of Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability. You know, Michael, one of the things that um, I encountered quite a bit when I first wrote the Go Green Initiative, which is uh, you know my nonprofit organization, is that a lot of teachers felt sort of overwhelmed by the idea of adding environmental education to what they felt like was already a very crowded school year, a lot of instructional minutes that they needed to get through. And one of the things that I really love about your book is that it gives some real-world examples of how environmental education and sustainability education can be integrated into core subjects like history, math, science, etc. Um, instead of adding on more curriculum, it's just about integrating sustainability into existing curriculum. And I think that is very, very important. Um, on page 37 of your book, I really enjoyed reading about the garden-centered curriculum. Michael, won't you please talk to our listeners about that and give some examples of how various schools have used the garden as kind of a laboratory for a a variety of subject areas? Sure, and it's one of the things I really enjoy talking about. Uh, I think that, again, food and and gardens just provide such an entree for for looking at so many different things, and I think that 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 the key is what you talked about, that that integration to realize that... uh, in some ways, all of those things are happening in the garden, and that you can you can use that as a way of having one unified experience that kids have that then builds on. Um, let me talk about. Uh, let me think. Well, one of my favorite stories is about uh, in the book is about Troy Howard Middle School. It's in Belfast, Maine. It's an area where one of the things we encounter is people. Often people say, "Well, sure, you're out in California. You can have gardens there, but you know, we're we're in the Midwest. We're in the East." Uh, how do you have a garden? Well, they built uh, at Troy Howard some hoop houses, uh, modified kinds of greenhouses, which were really very inexpensive. The students built them themselves using locally sourced materials uh, for maybe $1,000 each, and those become the way that they can continue to run a garden program year-round, whether it's 10 degrees below zero or, or during the summer. They still have gardens, and they eat daily uh, some food, fresh food, every day in their school lunch. They also make a business out of the, the garden, which is one of the things that's interesting to me. This, this garden program involves about uh, half, I guess, the seventh graders at this, uh, at this middle school, but their garden program provides 90% of their social studies curriculum and 30% of their art per- curriculum, 20% of their math and science. Um, they grow food in the garden, and the garden then becomes a science laboratory where they can do experiments with there's plant germination or some really interesting work they're doing with non-toxic pest control by really understanding what the pests are in their garden and what are the natural predators to them. Uh, when it's time, time to lay out the garden plots, that's the time they come in with their math pro- program, and that's where they study X and Y coordinates. When it's time to add soil amendments, that's where they're studying percentages. That's where they're, they're studying um, the way that math and science come together in, in a real-world situation. Uh, they've created their own businesses to market their products, and uh, this also leads to another point that people have, which is but how do you pay for a program like this? Well, this program is actually self-supporting. Um, they're, they're selling at local co-ops um, produce from the garden, 
And then they use that to study economics, to study small business management. They save heirloom seeds, uh, which creates a setting for learning about their region's agricultural history, its social history. What's the history of these seeds? Uh, where did they come from, and how important have they been in, that, in the history of that part of Maine? Um, they design really beautiful seed packets uh, in art, they, and then they sell the seeds by mail order. So all of these kinds of ways, they, they begin with one kind of set of experiences and then bring in all of their lessons, and they're very attentive to they have to meet the main standards, and so they, they know what they have to teach in order to meet those standards, but how they teach it uh, is a matter of how do we build these lessons into the experiences that the kids are having rather than how do we have a segregated sort of, okay, today is X, Y coordinates, tomorrow's percentages, something else. Uh, this is math class. Math class is over. We go to social studies class. It's, that's not the, world, the way the world works. We all, in our own experiences, our own jobs, run into economics, mathematics, science, whatever, history all the time, and to be able to understand that as it occurs is very important, and then some very smart teachers find ways to make that part of the curriculum uh, in a way that they meet the standards and at the same time uh, do it in a way that kids really get engaged, really get excited by what they're doing, and really learn from it. I love it. I mean, and that's just so brilliant, the way that um, th- this particular school has built all of that integration, all of those subject matters into um, this experience. And this is just one of many, many stories, folks, that you'll find in this book. I just think it's a treasure trove of stories that are not just inspiring, but the most important thing is they're replicable. They're stories that schools from anywhere can take and make their own and create their own success stories just like this. And I'm going to plug the website again because I just, I love this organization, Center for Eco-Literacy, and I love this book. So don't close this web page. Uh, keep us on. Keep listening to voiceamerica.com. But maybe open up a new web browser, a new tab in your web browser, and go to www.ecoliteracy.org and uh, check it out. Now, Michael, you know, on page 112, I love this topic in your book. Um, it's civic engagement. And for those who have listened to Go Green Radio for just a little bit or for a long time, know that that's something I'm really, really passionate about is getting children involved in the community, getting their parents, their teachers, everybody involved in civic discussion and civic engagement. And I love the way that you have folded this idea into sustainability education. And some people might think those are two very separate things. You know, in social studies, you know, we take the kids to a city council meeting and we teach them civic engagement. Um, and in sustainability education, we talk about hugging trees. But that's not the case. You've woven those two ideas in together. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners who might not readily see the connection between sustainability education, and civic engagement. Walk us through some examples of how students and schools have integrated those two concepts. Okay. Um, and as I'm understanding in civic engagement, it's, uh, it's a way of working uh, to make a difference in the life of our communities uh, in matters that matter to the citizens of those communities. I think a lot of schools have uh, students, require students even to be in, do volunteer programs, to be in service projects, and so on. And, and I think those are all good, and, and kids learn from them. But I, for me, civic engagement goes further. It really means attending to the 
the issues, the, the needs of your community, community-wide needs, often as, and often working with the citizens who are, who are addressing those needs. So a couple of stories from the book. Um, one of them is uh, in Burlington, Vermont, the Healthy Neighbors, Healthy Kids program. And in this program, this is, this is again, remember, this is fifth graders. Uh, they brainstorm about what makes for good quality of life in their neighborhoods. Um, and as they're defining sustainability, and I think this is a helpful definition for me, is that it has to do with quality of life. It, uh, so the sustainability is more than just continuing to live. It's more than just being able to do what we're doing a little bit further into the future. But it's really about improving the quality of life of uh, quality of life for the socially, economically, environmentally, both now and, and of course, for the future. And so the, the uh, students in this program brainstorm about what the indicators of life, quality of life might be, and that could be some of the things they've come up with, though, habitat for native birds, but it could also be access in their neighborhood to healthy food or safe places to play, uh, neighborhood murals instead of graffiti. This is, this is a very urban school. Um, and then they report, re- prepare report cards on how their neighborhoods measure up against these indicators, and they actually present these report cards to local government officials. And then they get involved with their, with their fellow citizens in how do you improve the quality of life in the neighborhoods. And so if, if one of the quality of life things they discover is that people in our neighborhood, in our region, they're, they're, pretty, ano- they're pretty anonymous. They don't get to know each other. So a response to that might be to hold a block party Another response might be to, to repair habitat so that birds can come into, into the area. Uh, so they get involved, and they get involved at a level where the other citizens care about it, and they're doing something too. A uh, very different kind of example, a School of Environmental Studies in Apple Valley, Minnesota. And so it's an 11th and, tra- get tra- excuse me, 11th and 12th grade school, and the students, the first thing that happens when they enter the school as 11th graders they get involved in an investigation of water quality in ponds and lakes in their region. And then they prepare analyses. They try to understand how water gets to them, uh, how it gets to these ponds, what happens to it along the way, if water quality has been compromised, why is that? They do an analysis. They pre- make recommendations. And then they present them to the local water boards. And that work means something to the students because they know that it's been actually requested by these government bodies and that they're going to use it in their planning. And so I think in in both kinds of uh, projects, one of them in an urban neighborhood, the other one in a suburban rural watershed, students are learning a lot of things that are going to be important if they're going to contribute as citizens in making more sustainable societies. They're learning... I love that. They're learning they can make a difference, for one thing, uh, which Mm -hmm. is tremendously empowering. They're also acquiring the kinds of skills, whether it's research, analysis, just simply working together with other people, making public presentations, all the things they're going to need to do in order to be effective citizens. And I think if we're going to have sustainable societies, we're going to need effective citizens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Michael, uh, thank you so much. We're going to be back with more with Michael Stone, author of Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability, after this quick commercial break. Don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote, and then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. We are joined today by Michael Stone, the author of a book that I highly recommend. I just love it. It's called Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability. You can get that book on Amazon. You can get it at your local Barnes & Noble. But you can also check out the website um, for the organization that is behind this book, the Center for Eco-Literacy. If you want to check it out now, don't close this page in your web browser. Keep listening to voiceamerica.com. But perhaps open another tab in your web browser and go to www.ecoliteracy.org. That's E-C-O-L-I-T-E-R-A-C-Y.org. Michael, we are so glad to have you on Go Green Radio. I could talk to you all day long. I just really, really love this book. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that's becoming um, very trendy in the green world, and for good reason, and that's green building. In recent years, there have really been a lot of strides in greening the physical space of our schools. And though the U.S. still has just a small percentage of our nation's classrooms that would be considered LEED certified by the U.S. Green Building Council, more and more districts are starting to move in that direction. And one of the things that I think is really important is that if we build or retrofit our schools to LEED or green standards, green building standards, that we make a really concerted effort to use those green buildings as teaching tools. I mean, it's 
really great if kids go to school in a green and healthy building, but if they don't even know it, then they don't reap all of the educational benefits that are possible. So I'd love for you to talk to us about schools that have made great strides in creating learning laboratories uh, using the green buildings that they have for their students. How can we use those buildings as an educational tool? Great. That's a wonderful question. And, and in fact, that was one of our criteria when we were choosing books, uh, schools to include in the book uh, because a lot of schools, as you mentioned, they're, they're now doing some things, and they're important things. I mean, it makes a big difference if you're saving energy, saving water, uh, saving schools a lot of money, by the way, uh, over the long term in their energy costs and so on. Those are valuable, but what we were interested in is how does that become part of the education. And so we specifically looked for schools that were doing a variety of different things, and uh, I'll mention a couple of here. Let me think. Um, well, for one thing that they're doing is they're making the green elements visible. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite pictures in the book is it's a sign on a bathroom partition of all things. It's in a school in New Jersey, and this bathroom partition says, the partitions in this bathroom are 100% recycled and are made from approximately 6,728 plastic detergent bottles fabricated in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So right there, the students, the students are being reminded every time they go to the bathroom um, how their school was built, kind of the attitudes it had, and also what can be done you know, so that what they can learn about how they can recycle materials perhaps and, and conserve on, on using raw materials. Um, other schools post displays, uh, meters perhaps, uh, sometimes computer displays that show real-time energy use and water use and so on so the students can get immediate feedback. How are we doing right now? And, and literally, if we turn the lights out, uh, what would that do to the energy use? And so they can, they can see it right away. They can, they can experience that, in fact, the decisions they make have immediate consequences. And then, the, then what happens in the building becomes part of that lesson. Uh, I think another one, the uh, Tarkington School of Excellence in Chicago, it was the first green campus in the state. And teachers began to realize that they had signs all over, we're the first green school and so on. Then they realized the students didn't actually know what that meant, and so then they began to raise questions in classroom. Well, why do we have waterless urinals? What does, difference does it make if the floors are made of recycled glass? And the, uh, that kind of thing, which then led to discussions, uh, which then led to students doing further research uh, about green building and about their, they have a living roof on that, on that building, and what do living roofs do to improve the ecology of, of the building, and so they build on that, and the principal kept being asked the same, um, some variation on the same question you were asking. He says, are the schools really learning anything from the building? And so he said, well, let's find out. And so he appointed a group of students to become the tour leaders because he was leading tours and people kept asking these questions. Why not just have the students lead the tours? turns out that they had to record in order to do that. They ended up learning much more about their own building than the principal did, and now he's the person. They're the people that he brings out whenever somebody has a question about the green building. Uh, Brilliant. Students in Bryant, Arkansas, created PowerPoints about the fe- features of their green building, and now they use those to teach students in other places. Um, Northfield Mount Hermon School in Massachusetts, one more example, um, a physics class made a project of measuring all across the campus where energy was being used, 
where it was being used efficiently, where it was being wasted. One of the things they found out was the, the biggest offender on campus was mini refrigerators in the dormitories. It's a residential school. Um, and so that led to a student-led effort, not coming from the administration, but the students themselves, to ban the mini fridges from the, from the dormitories. And so they, the physics class made a project out of it. Um, it led to the action. It led to them again feeling they were making a difference on what was happening on their own campus. I love it. And see, that's to me, that's real environmental education. And one of the things that you know, uh, as well as I do, that, that's part of what I do with the Go Green initiative is we try to ensure that the students are part of the process. It's great if the adults around students do a good job of, you know, creating recycling on campus and, you know, getting the bins and all of that. But if students aren't physically engaged and mentally engaged in the greening of their campus, they're they're just sort of exposed to, you know, these concepts, but they really don't own them. They don't become part of who they are and the character traits that they're learning. Um, it, it really doesn't doesn't do any justice to the students to just have greening going on around them, but it's sort of, you know, something the adults do and, and not having the kids engaged. So if we go to the expense and the trouble and the, you know, the, the good visionary leadership to build a green school, let's make sure that it becomes a learning laboratory for the kids, that they know um, what the adults in that community have done for them in creating this campus. So I love those examples that are in your book. And actually, you have some more examples that I really enjoyed. I love data. I love to know that if we're doing a program or if a school's engaged in going green, that we can measure it, that we know that, uh, you know, how much water we're saving, how much electricity we're saving, that sort of thing. And you had some stories in your book about a green cup challenge for uh, energy saving. It was a competition in Massachusetts. And and the section in your book that describes this is called Ecological Accounting. Tell us a little bit about that, that Green Cup Challenge. Okay, the Green Cup Challenge began, I think it was 19, 2006, I guess, um, with three schools, one in Massachusetts and one in New Hampshire and one in New Jersey, and they decided to compete about who could reduce their energy most use most over a one-minute period. And I think that they chose electricity specifically because that was easily measurable and, and easily comparable. And they did that, and that got so much enthusiasm that uh, by the next year, 15 schools were participating, and then in 2008, 33, and then it leapt in uh, 2009 to 150 schools in 24 states and and provinces in Canada, and uh, they collectively reduced their CO2 emissions over a four-week period by 1,200 tons. And again, that gives students that feeling... This actually makes a difference, what we do, and they made it fun. They, they did candlelight dinners. I mean, some of the students really take it, took it to some creative extremes that you wouldn't do long-term, but it illustrated things. They, they began studying with miners' helmets and things on their heads rather than the <laughs> lights. Um, but, they, but it was really a matter of taking, a, taking something, getting something where students are nor- normally or naturally competitive. Uh, they like doing things socially and saying, how can we use that um, to do something where we can actually, again, realize that we're making a difference, that the 1,200 tons of CO2 weren't let into the atmosphere because of what we were doing. And it was a very exciting program, program which continues, obviously, to grow. It's uh, bringing in a lot more students who are interested in trying the same thing. 
I love that. And Michael, I just, I cannot thank you and the Center for Eco Literacy enough for exposing and co- uh, collecting and, and publishing these success stories throughout the nation. Um, I, folks, you've just got to get your hands on this book, Smart by Nature, Schooling for Sustainability. Michael, we'll have to have you back on again. Folks, we'll be back same place, same time with more Go Green Radio next week. Until then, have a great green week, and we will talk to you again with more Go Green Radio, same time, same place, next week. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.